Great, thank you, Rich. Thanks for that introduction. And uh, just to say, it's great uh, to be back here um, again. Uh, it's wonderful to come and share at a church like King's that takes um, the Great Commission seriously. Um, the Great Commission, go into the world, preach the good news, says Jesus. And um, the Great Commission for many, for many contemporary Christians, sadly, has become the Great Omission. It's the thing that is not done. So it's great to be here and to be part of, uh, of this series. And um, who was here last week? Um, probably nearly, nearly most people here. If you weren't here last week, you can catch up online. So I'm doing, um, this is the second of two parts in the BLESS series, uh, which is the, um, in, the, in the acronym, it's the S, which is for SHARE. And last week, we thought particularly about personal evangelism, but particularly using story or testimony, faith story, which is sometimes called testimony. You might remember uh, I said that uh, each one, each one of you, you have a unique story and uh, your testimony is your superpower. And I use that phrase, nothing connects like narrative. So uh, do listen to that if you, if you didn't manage to catch it the first time. And then what I said we'd be speaking about this week is perhaps more generally about personal evangelism, uh, principles of personal evangelism, um, but actually uh, what, what, it, what it comes to when it comes to leading someone across the line. Now, for most of you, you will never, never have had the experience of leading someone across the line. That is to say, leading them in a prayer of commitment to Jesus Christ to become a Christian. And sometimes people think that's the preserve of the evangelist, people like me. And, um, and uh, to be sure, it, it's a kind of specialism of the evangelist. But I think it's within the reach of all of us as Christians. We're all called to be witnesses. That's what I was saying last week. We started, didn't we, in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says, wait in the city until you receive power from on high. That is the prophecy concerning the Spirit. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, we're thinking Jesus last week, um, his famous last words, before his ascension, where he said, we're all called to be witnesses. And, And there was that reminder last week, wasn't there? That we're not all evangelists, but we, all, we are all called, if we are Christians, we are all called to be witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. So we're all called to be witnesses. That's what we're uh, thinking about uh, today. And uh, it's exciting to hear about uh, your kind of bless adventures, people stepping out of the comfort zone. It's not easy for any of us, um, and stepping out of the comfort zone. And uh, daring, not just to be reactive, but proactive in terms of sharing our faith. Remember last week we talked about being proactive when you get it handed on a plate. Um, Joel got up and shared uh, last, last week. Joel, who's a doctor, he said he was in his place of work. And somebody said to him, you know, why are you so bubbly? Why are you so happy? And he said, oh, it's because I've got God in my life. Uh, and then he used the opportunity to share a little bit of his uh, a bit of testimony, saying I used to be anxious, have anxiety, but now um, I'm over that. I'm, uh, I'm not anxious anymore because of, because of Christ. That's being reactive. And I, what I said is that's great when we get, get it offered on a plate. Let's not miss that, of course. But let's dare to be proactive and create uh, links. Sometimes find uh, conversational ways of creating a, a link, building on natural bridges that are there in the conversation where, so we can share about our faith in Jesus Christ. And um, One of my favourite verses is from Matthew, it's two verses actually, Matthew 9 verses 37 to 38, where Jesus says this, he says, The harvest is plentiful, he says to his disciples, but the workers are few. 
Um, Pray, therefore, uh, that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers to his harvest field. I love that phrase for God. There's all kinds of terms for God, names of God, aren't there, particularly in Hebrew. In the Old Testament, like uh, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, um, Adonai, the almighty or powerful God. Well, here's one um, um, uh, that Jesus gives us. Pray that the Lord of the harvest, God is sovereign in evangelism, uh, which means we can get to sleep at night. He is the great evangelist. But also he goes before us. Um, You know, we don't have to do evangelism. We get to do evangelism. God's on a mission and we get to join in. And I find that really exciting. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers in the harvest field. What Jesus is saying essentially is there are more people open uh, to hearing the good news than there are people willing to tell it them. And what is true 2,000 years ago is true today. People are far more willing to, to hear the good news than there are those who are willing to share it with them. That's why one of my frequent prayers is, Lord, lead me to the lost who are ready to be found. God knows his own. God knows those who uh, he's drawing to himself. Lead me to the lost who are ready um, to be found. There are people everywhere waiting to hear the good news. And uh, so uh, take every opportunity. I seek to take every opportunity. I was st- staying locally in the, in the Premier Inn here in Wickham before preaching this morning and uh, got in the lift to go downstairs for breakfast this morning. There was a man who worked in the hotel in the lift and he said, uh, and I said, how are you doing today? He said, yeah, you're all right. And he said, how are you? He said, yeah, fine. And uh, I said, I'm uh, looking forward to worshipping the Lord this morning. That's what I just said to him. And, and he said, are you? So am I. He said, are you? I said, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, yeah. I lost interest at that point. No, I didn't. I didn't lose interest at that point. I am interested in pasteurising the found. Um, but uh, anyway, but he was a Christian. He was a Christian and uh, he was looking forward to worshipping the Lord as well. Just this week, um, I do mentoring quite a bit. And there's a, a guy who I train to be a vicar called Josh. And he came, he's a curate up in, up in uh, the north of England, and he came to stay with me and my family for two nights for a mentoring retreat. Um, and uh, on one particular day, I said to Josh, I said, right, because he's a, he's a young curate, I said, put your clerical collar on, we're going to go out, um, see if we can do a bit of witnessing. He was a bit nervous, this is in Whitney, the town where I live, he was a bit, a bit nervous about this, but off we, off we went. Um, and, um, and at one stage in Whitney, we passed uh, a young woman on a, on a bench, she turns out her name was Catherine, she was 31. And um, we, part, we, we passed, and I just felt that nudge, that nudge of the Spirit to speak to her. So I went back, said hello to her. Uh, she said hi, she was pretty friendly. And uh, she said she was from Cardiff, and she was here for the day, in Oxfordshire for the day. Um, she said with her mum, her mum was doing some work type thing. And uh, we just got talking a little bit, and then I said, do you, do you, do you have any faith? And uh, obviously we said that we were ministers, that was obvious, because we were wearing clerical Collars, dog collars, and uh, she said, uh, "She said, well, she said, I don't know. She said, I don't, I don't know. Uh, she said, but there must be something there. Now, the technical term for that, I don't know, of course, is, is agnosticism, which means gnosis is to know in the Greek. Agnos, a is the negative, agnosticism, do not know. So lots of people are agnostic. But you know, there's agnostics who veer towards atheism, which is, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't exist. They're more closed. But then there are agnostics who are veering towards theism, which is belief in God. Um, in other words, I do not know, but there must be something there. And I hear, you know, words to that effect, I hear that again and again. People say to me, when I ask them the question, do you believe in God, do you have any faith? They say to me, there must be something there. 
Now, often these people, they've just never heard. Nobody, nobody's ever shared it with them. But they're open because they say, I do not know, but there must be something there. They're predisposed to believing it. There must. In fact, when you think about it, that's a, that's, that's a statement of faith, isn't it? I do not know, but there must be something there. That's a statement of even certitude. There must. Not that, not there might be something there. There must be something there. Anyway, sure enough, um, this young woman, she, uh, she's not from a Christian home. She said, she said she'd never talked to anyone about God before. Or, I mean, literally, she was one of the unreached, this young woman who was 31. Anyway, so uh, I, I talked to her a little bit about God. And then, and then I just said, look, can I just say a prayer for you? Um, because you, you, you're what they call an agnostic. And she said, well, no, am I an agnostic? I said, can you, can you, would you like to pray the agnostic's prayer? She said, what's that? So I said, well, it's simply this. God, if you exist, make yourself known to me. She said, oh, yeah, I'll pray the agnostic's prayer. So basically, I led her in the agnostic's prayer. She just repeated it after me. You know, God, if you exist, make yourself known to me. Amen. That was it. That was it, the agnostic's prayer. She thought she had nothing to lose. Anyway, at that point, oh, yeah, first of all, then I said, Holy Spirit, touch her. I said, now, because the Holy Spirit can touch anyone. He only comes to live within you if you're a Christian. Um, so I, I pray that God would touch her. So she said, oh, I felt peace. Now that, peace as we know, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. When you look at Galatians chapter 5, 22, 23, it says this. The fruit of the Spirit. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit, what it means, it means the consequence of the presence of God in the life of human beings. That's what it means, the consequence. It says the fruit of the Spirit is um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now these others are not immediately... Um, manifestable so to speak so patience you know a person if they're touched by god they're not going to say i feel patience because patience obviously is tested if they feel that they're in a situation where they might be tempted to lose their patience so that's not self-control you know if they're tempted to sin or something they may that um you know or, or, or gentle so in other words those the, 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 those the, the the ones that come after the first three are not immediately discernible if god touches them but the first three are and surprise surprise those are the three that i hear again and again people say I feel love. They sometimes, often people say that when they become a Christian, often. But sometimes, even if they're touched by God before they're a Christian, I feel love, they say. Um, they say, uh, I feel peace. That's so common. I feel peace. That's what, she, that's what she said. This is what Catherine said just three days ago. I feel peace. Um, I feel joy. Now, often people don't say joy because joy is a bit of a biblical word. They say happiness because that's in their lexicon. The word happiness is more in the common lexicon than than, um, than joy. So people say, I feel happy, I feel happiness, but it's joy, that's what they experience. Anyway, this, this woman, she, she said uh, she, felt, she felt joy. And I said, so I said to her, um, um, I, I basically, I, I had a, then I had a prophetic picture. So I said, look, I've, I, I see a picture, and I said, it's a picture of a man on a, an island, and this man is, is on this little island, and he's waving like this. And I said, you're separated from this island, and you're on the mainland, and he's like a little man in the distance, and you're on the and you're tra- you're disconnected. There's a chasm between you and this man, and I said you're trying to connect and you're longing to connect in on, in some way, but there's a separation between you and that man is your dad. And she burst out in tears, and she said, "How did you know that?" She said, "My dad." Uh, we, she said, when, "When I was a young girl, me and my mum had to leave him because he was abusive. He abused me. He abused he abused he abused my mum. We had to leave him." And she said, "But still, part of me still longs for him. There's no connection, no connection at all." Uh, but, but she's so, so I then said, I thought, gosh, you know, she's been touched by God. She's heard the gospel. She's now had this spot on prophetic word. Surely she's ready to receive Jesus now. So I said, would you like to pray to receive Jesus? And she said, mm, I don't think I'm quite ready. So at that point, I pulled out a booklet in my pocket. I never travel without them. Why Jesus? By a friend of mine, Nicky Gumbel. Why Jesus? And I said, look, t- take this away, Catherine. Have a read tonight. 
And I said, you know, page 16, there's a prayer there. If you're ready tonight, you, you know, having read, read this, this, this explains the good news again to you. And pray page 16. Anyway, she took the booklet and she said, you know, I think I will. She said, I'm a bit embarrassed praying publicly, but I'm going to read it and I think I will. Now, and I said, well, if you do, I said, connect, connect to a church in Cardiff. I talk, find, a, find a great church, talked a little bit about church in Cardiff. And that's, we, we moved on. Now, I don't know, I don't know, but I, I reckon there's a good, good possibility at least um, that uh, Catherine... Uh, received Jesus that night, just this is about two, two, three nights, two, three, three nights ago. But people are everywhere. This is the point. There are people everywhere who are longing to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is good news. We just had communion, haven't we, today, celebrating the price that was paid. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be free. Um, we've just commemorated, haven't we, as, as is appropriate, Remembrance Sunday. It was Remembrance Day, the 11th of the 11th, just in the week. And you know, just this week, I, I had a different mentoring meeting earlier in the week with a guy I mentor who's a curate in Coventry. And we met halfway at a place called Shipton on Stout. So he lives in Coventry, I live in Whitney. We, let, we, we met at this market town in Shipton on Stour. And after we'd finished our mentoring lunch, I went for a little walk around the market town, never been there before. And there was two antique shops, I've got a bit of a, a weakness for antique shops. And, um, and in, the, in the window display, there was a kind of World War I display to commemorate, obviously, because we're thinking about the wars, aren't we? And there was this display that was, that was there. And in the middle of the display, there was this bronze cross. And I, do you know, I'd been, looking, I'd been looking for a cross for a while. So I went in. It's really, it's, uh, really heavy. Just feel, Rich, just feel that. That is, uh, that is, that is, weighs a ton, doesn't it? Whoa, it weighs, it weighs a ton. So um, I found this bronze cross, which had a poppy on it. Anyway, I asked if I could buy it. And uh, the guy said to me, oh, you, you've ruined my display now. I said, so sorry about that, because obviously he was wanting it to stay up for a while. But um, I was particularly looking for a, a cross. I wanted a cross, not a crucifix, uh, one without a body of Jesus, because Jesus hasn't just died. He's risen. And um, we remember, don't we, um, in Remembrance Sunday, not just, uh, obviously, the price that was paid in terms of people who gave their lives for our liberty. Um, not far from our thinking is, of course, the one who gave his life for our supreme liberty, Jesus Christ. He himself said, greater love has no one than this, that he gives up his life for his friends. And uh, this, this, this cross is it's over 100 years old, and it was used by a padre, a chaplain, on the battlefields of the First World War. So in the first, you know, the, the battle, imagine the battlefields of the First World War, a padre would stick this cross and do church in the middle of the battlefields over 100 years ago. And uh, that, that, that made me want to buy it even more, because the symbolism there that in the midst of darkness, there's light. In the midst of, of, of war, there's the possibility of peace because he is our peace, says the scriptures, for he has made the two one, that is Jew, believing Jew and non-believing Gentile. And he's reconciled us both in one body by the cross. Greater love has no one than this, speak of himself, that, he should give, that someone should give up their life for his friends and Jesus has given up his life for us, for you and for me, that we might be forgiven, that we might be set free, that we might be adopted as sons and daughters of the living God and have a relationship with him, not just in this life, but for the whole of eternity. This is the good news, brothers and sisters, that we have been recipients of. If we're Christians, we ourselves have become recipients of. This is the good news that we get to share. And we need to have our hearts ablaze. One of the things I sometimes say is that the best evangelism, the most effective evangelism, is from the overflow. It's from the overflow. It's not, it's not a duty. If I say to you, you've got to do this. Oh, no, 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 no. no you've, not, you've not got to do this. We get to do this. 
The best evangelism, the most effective evangelism is from the overflow, from a heart set ablaze with the love of Christ. And so my challenge to you this morning as we share some of this stuff, as I share some of this stuff, is is your heart ablaze with the love of Christ? Do you love him? Um, Or have you lost your first love? You know, maybe you gave your life to Christ years ago and you know that perhaps that first love has diminished somewhat. Well, the best thing you can do if you want to be effective in witness isn't to, uh, to put into practice the principles that I'm sharing now, although hopefully they'll be very useful, but actually is to, is to make sure that your heart is reignited with the love of Jesus Christ. And we're going to uh, share, I'm going to share from a favourite passage of mine, which is from Acts chapter 8, uh, familiar to many of us, verse 26, if you want to look it up in your Bibles or on your, on, uh, your um, phones, as I do, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian official, and it's a wonderful story of an example of personal evangelism and it's also in this particular episode Philip gets to lead the man across the line in other words what I call leading across the line Philip gets to actually initiate the Ethiopian official into the kingdom the man becomes a Christian it's a wonderful story let me read from verse 26 it says now now an angel of the Lord said to Philip go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza so he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candice, uh, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Now, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So, so who is this guy? What was he doing? Well, who is this guy? Almost certainly, he was a God-fearing Gentile. So he wasn't Jewish. We know that. We know that. And the term for a God-fearing uh, a believer, a God-fearing Gentile, was a proselyte. So um, back 2,000 years ago, if you were a full member of the covenant, the covenant of God, the covenant of Yahweh, you were f- fully Jewish, of course. But the, 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 the Jewish people were called to be a light to the Gentiles, to the, to the unbelieving heathens, those who were non-covenantal people. Now, they weren't very good at that, to be honest. The, the Lord had to rebuke them about that again and again, just like the church today. We're not very good at being a light to uh, the non-believers so perhaps the Lord sometimes has to rebuke us. But, uh, but anyway, it was possible to become a believer in God, and often you were a proselyte. And so that's why this man had been to Jerusalem to worship, and that's why he was reading the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. He was reading the Jewish scriptures. He was actually reading Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah the prophet, in particular, he was reading Isaiah 53. Those are two verses that are quoted from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, which are sometimes called the suffering servant passages because they are prophecies hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, about the person of Jesus. So it was a divine setup, wasn't it? A divine setup. Here's this guy who's a believer in God, Yahweh. He's not, a, he's not fully Jewish, and uh, he's coming back from worshipping, and he's reading the scriptures, and, um, and, uh, he, and Philip encounters him. And so what we're told, verse 29, the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, he told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it so verse 30 we're told philip ran to the charity heard the man reading isaiah the prophet he heard the man reading aloud because reading in your head is a very modern western thing in the ancient world they when they read particularly when they read sacred scripture even if they were on their own they would read it aloud and so anyway not 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 to say that we need to do that but that's why he was heard him reading because he was reading aloud and then philip uh he said to him He said to the man, he said, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 30, do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. How can I, said the Ethiopian, um, unless somebody explains it to me? 
So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer um, is silent. He did not open his mouth. So it's speaking of Jesus Christ because we know Jesus when he was, uh, when he was uh, before his accusers, he was silent. He said, the words are yours, didn't he, to Pontius Pilate. He wouldn't speak. He wouldn't defend himself. Uh, so it's a, it's a prophecy of that, that Jesus was silent before his accusers. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Jesus the Christ was executed. There are other verses that are not quoted here by Luke in this passage, which of course says of, says of the suffering servant, by his stripes we are healed. By his suffering, by his passion, we are healed. By Jesus' suffering and death, uh, we, are, we, are, we are healed. Uh, and that means uh, we are saved, it means we are healed, it means we are delivered. It's holistic salvation. Um, Isaiah predicted that of the suffering servant. So the eunuch says, verse 34, tell, tell me, he says, who is the prophet speaking about? Who is Isaiah speaking about? Is it himself or is it somebody else? He's a bit confused. So Philip began with this very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. All our evangelism should be bibliocentric. We don't need to quote chapter and verse necessarily, but there's power in the word of God written because it's, it's thinking God's thoughts after him. Um, so beginning with this very passage of scripture, he told him about Jesus. And however we get there, however circuitous the route, whatever stories we might use, it's all about Jesus. Our witnessing, witnessing should be all about Jesus. Anyway, what's the response? Verse 36, as they travelled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptised? Now, why did he say that? He must have said that. He could only have said that. Because, uh, because baptism was part of the gospel presentation. Now, that's challenging. It's challenging for evangelists like me um, because often a baptism isn't part of uh, um, the gospel presentation. But it must have been because why else would um, the Ethiopian official say, look, here's water. What, stops, what prevents me from being baptised? Baptism is a new Christian doctrine, so to speak. The historical antecedent is mikvah. Mikvah was ritual washing that took place in synagogues, which was a symbol of cleansing, which was the thing that John the Baptist was into but it's, imbu- it's Im- imbued with a new meaning, baptism into Christ, baptism into his church. And so what prevents me from being baptised? And also it's a reminder that true conversion isn't just conversion to Christ, it's conversion to his community. Baptism is the sign and seal of the new birth, but it's also the sacrament of initiation into the church. We can't go in alone, brothers and sisters. We need to call people to do life with us or, 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 or any other believers in the community of the, of the church. And, uh, and so basically Philip's uh, response to that is he gave orders, verse 38, to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and uh, the eunuch uh, were told, uh, went down into the water. Philip baptised him and then they came up out of the water. The spirit of the Lord suddenly whisked Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. He was filled with joy. Philip, however, appealed, appeared at Azotus, which is hundreds of miles away. Um, and travelled about preaching the gospel in the towns until they reached Caesarea. Because it was hundreds of miles away, many commentators think there was a kind of transportation miracle, and Philip was literally transported off hundreds of miles away, appeared at a different place. Meanwhile, the Ethiopian who'd given his life um, was, was filled with joy. Do you know there's joy when you receive the good news? I remember, there, there it is there. Joy, one of the fruit of the Spirit. The, the, he, went and he went on his way rejoicing, means he was filled with joy. Jo- joy is often the consequence of receiving Christ, 
But you know, joy is also not just the gift for the recipient, it's the gift of the giver. So, I, so, so I'm full of joy so often because I get the Holy Spirit backwash and I lead someone to Jesus and I end up being filled with joy because I'm filled with de- delight when somebody gives their life to Jesus Christ. So what we have here, amazing principles of personal, personal evangelism that we can learn from. Let me just throw one or two more. We've already been looking at this. Let me just throw one or two out as we continue. The first thing is notice that Philip, um, the evangelist, he asked questions. Do you remember last week I talked about being proactive and reactive? Proactive is when, um, uh, sorry, reactive is when it's given to you on a plate. Proactive is when you initiate, you create a link in some way. And that's what he did. Notice he notices that the Ethiopian is reading the Jewish scriptures from, um, from uh, Isaiah the prophet. And then we're told this. He ran to the chariot and he asked this question. He said, do you understand what you are reading? That was the question. So he didn't preach, he didn't speak, first of all. He asked a question. Do you understand what you are reading? And of course the response from the Ethiopian official was, no, no, how can I? How can I understand unless somebody explains it to me. Notice as well, without repeating what I said last week, he, 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 he went across the bridge. The fact the man was reading the scriptures, um, he drove the gospel, so to speak, over the bridge. There was a natural point of connection there that the man was reading the Jewish scriptures. But he did so asking questions. Um, I mentioned earlier, didn't I, that I've been down in uh, High Wycombe since yesterday, came yesterday, and I met up uh, yesterday for coffee with, with Joel, um, and we had, we had a coffee here in town. And then Joel said to me, he said, do you want to come to a meeting in the evening? He said his parents were doing like a renewal meeting in their home, which is in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of village out in the sticks. And I, and I said, yeah, I'll come out, I'll join the meeting. Anyway, Brenda, his wife, had already gone off to the meeting with the kids. She, she'd driven off because uh, we were having coffee. And so we took the train uh, from Wickham to uh, Haddenham. And then we had, a, had to get a taxi from Haddenham to his parents' house where this kind of um, renewal meeting, this kind of renewal meeting was happening in their house. And then I was, Joe and I were in the back of the taxi, we were chatting away. Then there was a slight lull in the conversation. And then Joel piped up to the taxi driver. He said, uh, how are you doing? And the taxi driver said, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, boss. Okay, fine. And then Joel said, um, we're off to a Christian meeting. He just, he just said like this. And the guy said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, he was a bit monosyllabic, but still. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, we're off to a Christian meeting. And he said, uh, do you believe doing God? He said, oh, yeah, sometimes. He said, I sometimes do. And Joel said, what, 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 what kind of faith do you have? He said, Muslim. He said, it's a bit difficult, though. He said, praying five times a day and going to mosque. A bit difficult. He said, uh, and, then, and Joel then weaved in a little bit of testimony. He said, well, I became a Christian as a teenager, and Jesus Christ has changed my life. That's what he said. And that, that was it. it was, that, that, was, that was the opportunity. But notice that there were, there were questions. Joel, I was praying in the back. I was just praying for the Muslim taxi driver. And then we arrived at the parents. We got in. And uh, who knows? You know, oh, we're called to sow the seed of the good news. We don't know what the, the good that, they, that that might do. We're called to be links in a chain, by the way. Most of us, um, we have to be content to be links in a chain. Maybe on occasion we might lead someone across the line. More of that in a minute. But we're links in a chain. We just sow the seed of the gospel. That's what happened yesterday with, that, with this taxi driver. But notice that Joel asked questions. You know, do you believe in God? Yeah, I, do. I kind of do sometimes. What kind of, what kind of faith do you have? I'm a Muslim. He said, it's a bit of a difficult faith, said the guy. So ask questions. Also, the other thing is invitation um, is the heart of the gospel, not coercion. Invitation, not coercion. Coercion is to be forced, to be cajoled. Invitation is to be wooed. Now, when you think about it, invitation is the heart of the gospel because God is sovereign, isn't he? God could force us to be believers, couldn't he? But he doesn't. God woos us. God draws us. There are no conscripts in God's army. 
And notice that invitation is one of the key things in this evangelistic encounter concerning Philip and the Ethiopian official. So if you look at verse 31, what we're told is that um, in response to Philip's question, do you understand what you're reading? The, The Ethiopian official says, no, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit next to him in the chariot. Now, I know some Christians who push, they, they wouldn't wait for the invitation. They say, oh, can I we're gonna puff, puff, puff. They sit there and buttonhole the guy? And, but he didn't do that. Um, he, he, he was standing by the chariot, and, and he waited until the, the Ethiopian official said, you know, he invited, he invite, come and sit next to me. He invited Philip to come and sit next to him to explain the good news. Invitation is the heart of the good news. Coercion never works anyway, does it? When we try and push and cajole and force people, it never works. It's not a gospel way of doing things, but it never works. I remember being at home a few years ago, preparing a sermon. This is the days of landlines. And the phone went, I was trying to prepare myself. And this, this person said, hello there, I'm, it was one of these telesales people. And they said, hello, telesales, he said, I'm, I'm, I, wanna, I wonder if I could sell you some double glazing. He said, we do a great deal at the moment in double glazing. So I said, no, I'm not interested in double glazing. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Uh, see you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Put the phone down. About 10 minutes later, the phone goes again. It was a different telesales person. And they said, hello, I wonder, you know, uh, I'm here to sort of talk about patios. You know, we do a great line in patios at the moment. I was a little bit annoyed because I was wanting to get on with my sermon. So I said, look, I'm a, li- I'm a bit busy right now. I'm working. I said, look, uh, can I take your uh, phone, your mobile? Can I take your mobile? And I'll ring you later after work. And this man said somewhat indignantly, I'm not giving you my personal number to do that. And I said, yeah, thank you. Now you know how I feel. Goodbye. And uh, put the phone up. You know, I wasn't best pleased with the guy. So when we cajole, when we buttonhole, when we, when we overdo the persuasion, so to speak, it's counterproductive in terms of the gospel. But invitation is one of the best motifs to do with evangelism. Jesus said, a man threw a party and he invited people to come, come to this party. Evangelism in essence, is handing out invitations to a party that is out of this world. And, one of, and you've got, you've got a, an opportunity to do a bit of proactive evangelism as a church these next few weeks that is the easiest form of proactive evangelism that you're ever going to get. And that's inviting people to the carol service. As you know, the carol services are on Sunday, the 11th of December. I'm going to be preaching uh, throughout the day, sharing the gospel, hopefully in a winsome way, with, with clarity, hopefully, but in a winsome way with stories and with humour, that kind of thing, people will hear the gospel. And I'm going to offer a response. Each of the services, I'm going to give people an opportunity to respond, to pray a prayer, to receive Christ. All you need to do is invite someone to one of the services. It's the easiest form of evangelism. It's particularly easy when there are these invitations. It can't. It's so much easier if you're inviting someone to have something in your hand, to say to your non-Christian work colleague or neighbour or you're not yet Christian member of your family, hey, we're having these, we're having these carol services at church, come along. Christmas is such an easy sell to people because there's, there's still folk religion out there. There's, there's the vestiges of Christendom and people like a good sing-song at Christmas. Carol services are still part of the culture. It's such an easy thing. Um, I noticed uh, that Rich Hyatt, who was, uh, he was in the earlier service, he's an intern here at the church, I noticed on his Facebook he photographed and he's already put it on his Facebook. He photographed it and he's put it on his Facebook. You can do that. You can, how about that? You don't even need to, to, to give it to someone. You can put it, photograph it and put it on your Facebook. I would suggest you do both. Photograph it and put it on your Facebook if you've got social media. But also hand it to someone as well. I did a mission in the Netherlands uh, a, few, uh, a couple of years ago. And it was for a university in uh, the Netherlands. And on the first night, there was no non-Christians there. Every, every evangelist experiences this. 
Um, There was this event put on in a bar. There were snacks, canapes, all this. I was supposed to get up and do a 15-minute talk. There was no non-Christians there. And so I said to the leaders of the Christian Union, I said, uh, there's nobody here. And they said, yeah, 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 you know, people are not very good at inviting people. You know, people are scared to invite. People are scared even even to invite their non-Christian friends to a bar. This was to a pub, free wine, free nibbles, you know, talk from me. You know, uh, I think there was jazz. There was somebody playing music. It was kind of a funky jazz evening with a talk. No non-Christians there. So I said, what about tomorrow? Do you think there'll be more people there tomorrow, Monday night? And they said, oh, there'll be less there tomorrow. I thought, less? How can there be less than zero? And, and he, said, he said, the reason why, it's the Christian Union tomorrow night. I said, what? I said, well, why, why, why? He said, we, we decided, we, they decided to carry on meeting in Mission Week. I said, why are the Christian Union meeting in Mission Week? Why don't they stop the, the Bible study and, 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 and actually have, have, the, have the, come to the talk? And he said, well, they, just, they decided, no, no, we've got to have the Bible exposition Tuesday night. And I said, right, can you get me an invitation to that? And they said, there's already a speaker. And I said, okay, okay can, I, can I at least have 10 minutes to, to, to give a notice or something? And they said, okay, we'll fix it up. So I got one of my team to do the talk Tuesday night because I figured there's going to be no non-Christians there the second night and the wasn't. So I went along and this, this guy got up in his tie and he spoke all about uh, whatever he spoke about. I don't know, it was, in, it was all Dutch, it was double Dutch to me. Uh, obviously it was, it was in Dutch. And then I, I got up and I basically, in my 10 minutes, I basically told them off. And I said, look, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have had your Christian union tonight. The Bible's very important, but not in mission week. You know, you should be basically... Not, not been really meeting tonight. But I said, all is not lost. I said, we've got Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Invite your friends. And I talked about invitation. And I said, look, I said, I'm an, and I use this line. I said, I'm an evangelist, not a magician. I said, I can only catch fish if there's fish in the pond. And do you know, that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. God has given me a gift to be a fisher of people, catch fish. But I, only, I can only catch fish if there's fish in the pond. And actually, we've got three great ponds coming up on Sunday the 11th of December, one at 11.30, 3.30 and 6.30. The amount of fish in the pond will be determined by how proactive you are, people, you brothers and sisters, in terms of giving the invitation. And I sometimes say to people, I say to pastors, don't say to your people, um, bring people to church. Because um, you, you can't bring people. Can't, you know, bring, how can you bring someone? How can you bring your neighbour to church? What are you going to do? You're going to you know, tie them in rope and put them in the boot of the car and sort of bring them that, that way. That would be coercive, which we know is not good. Don't we? we know it's not gospel. What you can do is invite people. And the beauty is when you invite people, you can't fail. Because if, you, if you're told to bring people to church, then you failed if they don't come. But if you invite someone, you have succeeded the moment you issue the invitation. So I'm issuing a challenge to you, King Church, King's Church, today. And that is hand out invitations. Handing out invita- evangelism is handing out invitations to a party that is out of this world. Hand out invitations. And I would challenge you um, with this challenge. Each one, reach one. So every one of you, I challenge you to hand out at least one invitation. Some of you will hand out ten. That's fantastic. Go for ten. But some of you that don't even hand out one, hand out one, at least one invitation to your work colleague, to your neighbour, to the lady at the school gate that you talk to when you're doing the school run, to your uncle who um, is cynical and used to go to Church of England and doesn't believe anymore. You hand out invitations to the carol service. Okay, another uh, thing, only witness to the point of resistance. Some people say when you, when you have a link with someone, you, know, you, you, you talk to someone and maybe you end up in a conversation with somebody about the Lord, how do you know when to, to stop? And I say, well, only witness to the point of resistance. In other words, if you've got some EQ, some emotional intelligence, you can tell if the person is interested, if the person is kind of ambivalent, or if they're hostile. I would say if there's any negativity, any hostility, stop. You know, don't, don't continue because it's counterproductive. If they're ambivalent, I, w- I would basically kind of wind it down. But sometimes people are interested. You ask a question, 
uh, and they answer the question. Then they may ask you a question, and then you answer the question. And before you know it, you're in a conversation about the, about the gospel. So exercise EQ, emotional intelligence, and only witness about your faith to the point of where you get a slight wall of resistance and then stop. Do not pick, uh, you, you know, do not cast your pearls before swine. And that's Jesus, by the way, not me, if you think I'm being a little bit uh, horrid there. Okay, the next point is this. Do not pick unripe fruit, but on the other hand, do not be afraid to offer the invitation. So do not pick unripe fruit. You know, do not offer someone to become a Christian when they're not ready. There's, There's nothing to be gained by that. But actually, do not be afraid to offer the invitation. Now, if we look to our passage, um, the, the person who became a Christian there, the Ethiopian official, the impetus all came from the seeker. Um, as they travelled along the road, um, the, the Ethiopian saw the water and said, look, what is to prevent me from being baptised? In other words, from becoming a Christian. Now, I've had episodes like that, where the person has been so keen, they've said, I want to become a Christian, I want to become a Christian. But they are few and far between. Very often, what I've done is I've issued the invitation. I've said to a person when I thought they were ready, I've said to them, look, do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? A bit like I did with Catherine, the Welsh lady, who, and she said, no, I don't think I'm ready. And then I gave her the why Jesus, and she said, I might pray it later tonight, she said. Um, but, uh, but, but many times I offer, I, I just hold out the offer of the gospel. I said, would you like to pray to become a Christian? Would you like to pray to give your life to Jesus Christ? How do you know when a person is ready? Three things. One, um, have you shared enough of the gospel? So if you've, only sh- sh- uh, if you've only sown a few seeds, a bit like the, taxi, the Muslim taxi driver, then that's not, in, that's not enough, is it? But if you've ha- been able, a bit like Catherine, who I shared enough of the gospel with, the Welsh lady, a few, a few days ago, um, if you shared enough of the gospel, which centres on the person of Jesus Christ, particularly his death on the cross, the possibility of forgiveness in his name, um, if you've shared enough of the good news, then that's, that's one of the criteria. The second thing is, is the person being drawn? As I say, some people are ambivalent. Don't offer if they're ambivalent. Some people are negative. Certainly don't offer if they're negative. But sometimes you can sense the person is being drawn. I feel it almost as if, to use the fishing analogy, um, you know, they're, they're caught on the hook. They've almost, you know, it's like a fish caught on the, caught on the rod and the, the rod is pulling. Sometimes you can feel it. Uh, it's almost that they're on the hook of God, so to speak. God is drawing them by his grace. So are they being drawn? And the third thing is, are they open to you and the message that you've shared? Is there an openness to you and the message? If those three things are in place, very often I might say, would you like to give your life to Jesus Christ? Okay, finally, be spirit-led, not program-driven. Notice when we look at this passage in the Acts of the Apostle, the Holy Spirit is all over it. The Holy Spirit says to Philip, go and talk. Go and stand by that chariot. The Holy Spirit says to him, um, speak in this way. He speaks in this way. Then at the end, it seems as if Philip mysteriously disappears and appears in a different place. The, Holy, the, the God is the great evangelist, and the most effective evangelism is when our um, evangelism is not program-orientated, but is spirit-led. Let me finish with one final story. Uh, I was on an aeroplane uh, about to take off. Uh, to Budapest in Hungary. This is earlier this year. And um, there was, I was on a, a row of three seats, and there was me, and there's a, the seat next to me was free. And then there was a young woman. She was, turns out she was 31, and she was on the seat. And I thought to myself, you know, there may be an opportunity to share the good news with her. You know, often I find aeroplanes pretty conducive for witnessing. And, um, but as we were about to take off on the tarmac, uh, this, this, uh, this woman, she put her kind of COVID mask on, and then she put her eye mask on. 
And then she got these big headphones, and she put these headphones on. So she was. So I thought to myself, I'm not looking very promising now. So anyway, the plane, the plane took off. When we got to cruising altitude, the, the lady came around, would you like any coffee or tea? The woman next to me took off her earphone, she took off her COVID mask, and she took off her face, face mask. So I turned and I went, hello, like this. And she went, hello. And uh, then I just struck up conversation, what are you doing, where are you going, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, her name was Boggy, that's quite a common name in, in Budapest. Boggy um, is, is Hungarian. Uh, she lives in England now, doing a PhD, lives with her Hungarian boyfriend. But she was going back to Budapest to visit her parents. She said, what am I doing? I said, I'm a minister. Uh, and I said, I'm doing a series of talks in, in, in Budapest about, about Christianity, about God, about faith. She said, oh, that's interesting. And I said, do you believe? And she said, I don't, I don't know. She said, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, she said, you know, I've never, I've never really thought about it. And that was interesting that it, you know, she was not from a faith background. And she actually said, I've never really thought about it. She just never, never. So here's a woman, she's 31, never really, never really thought about it. Um, you know, not from a faith home in, in any way. So then I began to share the good news with her, and we did a bit of apologetics. She asked this question, oh, what, what is God? That's what she said to me. If God exists, what is God? Who, who would you think God is? So I, I was doing a bit of apologetics, the person of God, the nature of God, this kind of stuff. Anyway, then uh, we, we hit some pretty bad turbulence. The plane was doing this, banging around, and it was quite, it was quite bad. Um, the, the person behind me said, um, the person on the seat behind said, uh, look at the air stewardesses. If they're scared, get scared. So it was that kind, of, that kind of turbulence. Anyway, I noticed Boggy, she stopped listening. And I said, are you all right? And she, she completely zoned out. And she said, no. She said, I, I struggle with the fear of flying. And she said, oh, I, I, I sometimes get anxious the night before I fly. I, I, I try to avoid flying, flying when I can. And I think, she said, this is the worst turbulence I've been in. And um, so I then said to her, I said, well, do you know, I used to be scared of flying, but I'm not anymore. And uh, it's true, I was in some really bad turbulence, much worse than this when I was a theological student, and that, that opened a door. Of, I wasn't scared before, but then I got this fear of flying. But uh, Anyway, so she said, what do you mean you're not anymore? Because you know, she was interested. What do you mean you're not anymore? Because I, I was enjoying it, because I, 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 now I quite like a bit of turbulence. It's like the Big Dipper. He's like, ooh, it's quite, quite fun. Anyway, so, um, uh, so she said, what do you And I said, well, I found a faith-based solution. And she said, what do you mean a faith-based solution? So I, I said, you know, I basically was fearful, and, uh, and I got prayer, and, and I'm not fearful. I'm not fearful anymore. She, she was interested by this. And I said, look, can I pray for you that God will take the fear away? So this wasn't her becoming a Christian. It was just praying that God would take the fear away. She said, yeah, I prayed for her. And then she said, she said, that's amazing. She said, I feel peace. The fear has completely gone. I feel peace. Now, this is in the, the turbulence hadn't stopped. This wasn't an abstract answer to prayer. Let's take this. The prayer was the, the, the plane was still buffeting around, you know, banging around, and she said, "That's amazing." She said, "I feel peace again, fruit of the spirit." I feel one of the three: love, joy, peace. Those are the, those are the big big three that often people. She wasn't a Christian. I feel peace. I said, "There's more where that came from." That was my response. I shared more of the gospel, and then a little bit later, at thirty-five thousand feet, I had the privilege to lead Boggy to Christ. And she prayed to receive Christ. And she, again, she had a, an encounter of God and she was in, had tears in her eyes. And said, yeah, let's give the Lord. I mean, it's the Lord. It's glory to him, isn't it? Any, it's, it's glory to him. He is the great evangelist. We just get uh, to join in. Um, and so there are people everywhere. This is my encouragement to you in conclusion. There are people everywhere, whether it's Boggy, whether it's the Muslim taxi driver last night, whether it's Catherine, the lady from Wales, um, uh, who was in Whitney for the day. There are people everywhere just waiting to hear the good news. The, the, the harvest is plentiful, uh, but the workers are few. There are far more people willing to hear, wanting to hear the good news than those who are willing to share the good news. Are you willing to step out your 
comfort zone to share the good news. Remember what I said last week? Out of the comfort zone and it's into the comfort, out of the comfort zone and in, so often into the kingdom zone. Are you willing to be those who, who, who uh, dare to be his witnesses uh, and share the good news when the Lord gives us opportunity? Go on. I dare you. So in conclusion, I'm just going to finish with a prayer. I'm going to pray for all of us that the Lord might, uh, we're coming into land now, it's one o'clock, uh, one minute, two. I'm going to just pray for us as we finish our service that the Lord might stir each one of us up. Particularly, remember this challenge of inviting people. It's the easiest thing you could do. You don't even need to say anything. You don't even need to, you know, you don't even need to tell, tell the person you're a Christian, although I guess it's implicit if you're saying come to my church. But it's, it's the easiest form of that, this, this thing. It's, it's, it's evangelism on a plate laid on for you by um, the, uh, the leadership team and everybody else at the church. So I'd encourage you to do that. But I'm going to finish as well with a prayer of commitment for anyone here who wants to give their life to Christ. Now, you may think that's strange because I've just done a sermon on evangelistic training. But I've shared the gospel, the gospel within the sermon, haven't I? And um, when I travel around up and down the country, there are often people who are seekers who are part of, part of churches that I go to. It may well be that you've done an Alpha course, but you've not yet prayed to receive Christ. It could be that you're a spouse. You get dragged to church by your spouse and they they believe but maybe you don't really believe. It could be that you've been journeying with the church just for a few weeks, I don't know, and you're thinking it all through but you've not yet prayed to receive Christ. Well, I would encourage you uh, this morning, take the opportunity to become a true Christian to receive Christ. Here's the prayer. I'm going to read it first of all. Here's the prayer that I'm going to pray, which is your opportunity to give your life to Jesus. It goes like this. Uh, Father, I turn from my sin to your son. Sin is everything I've done wrong, said wrong, thought wrong. I turn from my sin to your son. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That's the presence, the power, the person of God. Fill me with your joy. Uh, I choose to serve you now and always. Amen. That's the prayer. Let's just bow our heads uh, to pray. And uh, I'm going to um, invite you, if you've, if you've never given your life to Christ and you want to, you can pray this prayer. Or uh, maybe you have given your life to Christ, but you know that you've fallen back, you've fallen away, you're not following Jesus. You can pray this if you wish as a prayer of recommitment to him. So just as I pray this prayer and pause at the end of each line, make it your own prayer. But I'm going to invite you, if you're going to pray this prayer with me now, can you just, just raise your right hand, just as people um, are with their heads bowed and their eyes closed in prayer. Just raise your right hand just, just uh, with me now as, as your indication that you're praying this prayer as a, a first-time commitment to Jesus or maybe as a recommitment uh, to him. You can just do it half-mast in a sort of English-type way. Um, that's absolutely fine. Okay, great. Thank you. That's great. So there are three people here. There are three people in the service this morning. Uh, So this is particularly uh, for you. Heavenly Father, I turn from my sin, everything I've done wrong, said wrong and thought wrong, to your Son. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your joy. I I choose to serve you now and always. Amen. So do come up and chat to me, if you, particularly if you're one of those three, um, if that was a first-time commitment to Jesus or is a, a recommitment to him. Uh, do come and chat to me, or Rich, or indeed, indeed any member of the pastoral team here that you know. Do tell someone. It's great to tell someone. And we have a prayer ministry team at the end of the service. Get prayer as well. That would be good. But let me just pray for all of us in conclusion. So, Father, we thank you for those three who prayed that prayer at this service and the three in the first service. We pray, Lord, that you might fill them with your spirit afresh. Give them your joy. We pray whether that was a first-time commitment to you or maybe a recommitment, having fallen away a little bit and not actively following you, whichever it was, you alone know. Fill them, we pray. Um, uh, Deepen their faith in you. Um, 
Bring them on, Lord, to full measure of what it means to to be a follower, disciple of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for ourselves, Lord, at the end of this two-part series on share, what it means to share um, faith and be a blessing. And Lord, in in our evangelism, give us boldness, we pray. Take away fear. We ask. May we ask questions too. Not may, may we be slow to speak, but quick to listen. May we ask questions, just like um, the Ethiopian did, just like Joel did in the taxi uh, last night, just like uh, Philip did to the Ethiopian as Joel did in the taxi last night. Lord, we, may we recognise the best evangelism is invitation. And Lord, put, put on our hearts, even now, put on our hearts someone, a family, a person, a colleague, a, 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 a family member, a friend, someone who doesn't yet know Jesus that we can invite. Put it, put it on our heart now. Come, Holy Spirit, pop into our head uh, someone. And Lord, and Lord as, as, as names have popped into our heads even now, may we follow through and invite, preferably hand-to-hand. You know, we, give, we, put, the, we put the physical invitation in a physical hand. Uh, but Lord, if it's by email or social media, um, absolutely fine. Lord, may we invite people to a party that is out of this world, recognising that we're not just inviting them to the carol service, we're inviting them to a party that is out of this world. We're inviting them to... Be uh, members of the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, may we only witness to the point of resistance. Give us emotional intelligence. Not just IQ, but EQ. And may we witness to the point of resistance. If we get ambivalence or negativity, may we stop. But Lord, may we carry on when we get openness, when we get openness. And when we do get openness, give us wisdom to know, not to pick and write fruit. But Lord, not to be afraid to offer uh, someone to cross the line. Offer someone, do you wish to become a Christian, to lead them in a simple prayer of saying sorry and receiving Jesus uh, into their life if that is appropriate. If, Lord, we've shared enough of the gospel, if uh, we sense they're open to us, they're open to the message that we've shared, if we sense them being drawn, Lord, on your hook, so to speak, a fish uh, on your hook, uh, may we offer that. And I pray, Father, there might be people here uh, who've never been in that position of, of leading someone across the line, that there will be people here by the end of this year by the end of this year, who've done that, there will be testimonies shared in the home group system, in the church. People say, I've never done this, but I've got to do that. I've got to lead someone across the line. It's given me great joy as I've seen the person um, come to, to faith. And then, of course, we invite them to join us in the community of the church. And in all our doings, Lord, we recognise we need you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we cannot do it without you. We need you, Holy Spirit. So fill us afresh, Holy Spirit. Lord, you're the great evangelist. Fill us to overflowing with the good news. Give us joy, Lord, in the sending as we're sent out as your apostolic people. Give us joy in the sharing. Uh, We pray uh, that we may be people sent with this amazing good news. And may we be excited. May may we be animated. May we be inspired with this amazing good news that, Jesus Christ, you have done what we couldn't do for ourselves. Uh, You have made a way possible for us to have friendship with God the Father. And Lord, not just in this life, but for the whole of eternity excite us with this amazing news and send us out we pray as your people with this amazing message we ask and we ask it in jesus name amen thank you so much